Amen. As we take our seats together once again, I would want to give a word of welcome uh, to the Reverend John Armstrong. We have indicated, as you know, he is the moderator of our presbytery, but he is also a personal friend. And it's good to have our brother with us here in Hillsborough to renew fellowship with him. And as he comes now to read and to minister God's word, I trust that he will know the Lord's help and blessing. Amen. I'd like to turn you in the word of God, please, for a scripture reading to the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. And we'll read some verses beginning at verse 1. And so our Bible reading, Ruth chapter 2, and we're reading from the opening verse. While you're searching for the place, could I say it's a great joy and a privilege to be here in Hillsborough this morning to take part in this harvest service. I appreciate the invitation and I'm delighted to be able to renew fellowship with Mr. Kenny And we pray indeed that we might have a sense of the Lord's presence continuing as the meeting progresses and draws towards its conclusion. The harvest is a beautiful time of the year, of course. It brings the rain, yes, but I was driving up the the motorway and then through Hillsborough itself, looking at the, the trees, the beautiful colors, and how things change at this time of the year. And I was thinking as I was traveling, it's not only a beautiful time of the year, but this time of the year speaks to us of the fact that the Lord is in control and that the Lord is still upon the throne. It was quoted in the prayer meeting concerning the Lord's promise about seed time and harvest, summer and winter, and seed time and harvest. And we thank God that The Lord, in grace and in mercy, come this time of the year, he brings on the harvest. There's no such a thing, of course, as mother nature. No, the harvest comes from God. The changing seasons are sent by the Lord in providence and in grace and in his mercy and bounty to us. And we thank God then that the changing seasons remind us of one who has his hand upon all things. And if you're in this meeting this morning, and perhaps you're going through a difficult time, well, remember the Lord's in control. The Lord is overseeing all of these things. He oversees the wonderful things of nature. He oversees the preservation of this world. But thank God he's interested in you. And he oversees and he undertakes for you in the most minute details of life even. And so we rejoice in a God who is in control. It's a great joy to be with you today in this service. We'll read here from Ruth chapter 2, commencing at verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers 
And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servants, the servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar, and she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even. And beat out that she had leaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had leaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou leaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her mother-in-law, her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. We'll end our reading there at verse 20. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. There's a little phrase there in verse 19 that I want to leave with you in this harvest service this morning. 
Her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? Where hast thou gleaned today? We'll bow together just briefly in a word of prayer. Eternal and our everlasting God and Father, we bless thee for the opportunity given unto us of sitting in God's house at this time. And others unable to be here are able to sit under the ministry of the word of God and can, in that sense, join in this service. And, O God, we beseech of thee that thou wilt come now and prepare the preacher's heart to preach thy word to the glory of the Lord's name, not to exalt self, but to exalt the Savior himself and to honor the Christ of God. Speak to us, each one. Therefore, we humbly pray and we ask that the word of God will come with freshness and power to our souls and may the blessing of God rest upon us then. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. It used to be the custom in certain parts of England many, many years ago that a bell was sounded after a field had been harvested from its grain. The purpose of ringing that bell was to inform the poor and the downtrodden people of the district that they could then go into that harvest field and glean or gather the handfuls of grain that the reapers had left behind. Because in those days, many generations ago, gleaning what remained after the reapers had done their work was society's way of providing some corn or wheat or barley for those who had no field of their own. It would help provide them with some food during the long, cold winter months. It's hard for you and me, most of us, living in this more affluent age to imagine how it would be necessary for a people, a people who would be possibly so hard up and destitute that gleaning a few handfuls of grain during the days of harvest would be so vital to their well-being. And yet in generations past, that's how it was. When there was no health service, when food was scarce, when money was even more scarce perhaps, for tens of thousands of people up and down the, the country and across many countries indeed, gleaning in the harvest was critical to their survival. In carrying out this practice of gleaning, they were following a biblical principle and a biblical tradition. Because gleaning in the harvest time was something that the Lord had introduced and indeed had commanded in Old Testament times. You glance, for example, at Deuteronomy chapter 24 and the verses 19 to 22, you will see that is just one passage of Scripture where the Lord instructed the children of Israel not to cut their harvest right into the corner of the field, nor were they to gather any grain that fell from their hands as they were gathering that harvest, nor were they to go back into a field to pick up a sheaf that had been forgotten. The Lord said that those grains left in such a way as that was to be left for the 
less well off of society. And if you read those few verses in Deuteronomy 24, verses 19 to 22, you will see that the Lord on three different occasions highlights those who he regarded as the less well-off of society, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Ruth, when we come to think about Ruth, fitted into each of those categories. The words of Boaz in verse 11 of Ruth chapter 2 underline that fact. Ruth was a widow. She had buried her husband back in the land of Moab. Malon had passed away, whether he was killed or died of natural causes or whatever, we don't know. But certainly Ruth was a widow. And the Lord takes a special note and a special care of the widow in Scripture. You might be a widow here, maybe a recently made widow. Perhaps you think at times that no one pays much attention to you, but the Lord cares for you with a special care indeed. Ruth was a widow. She was also a stranger because a stranger in Israel was one who was not a Jew by birth. And Ruth, of course, had been born into the heathendom of Moab. A number of generations of her family would have to live in Israel before they would be regarded as part of the community. They would be regarded no longer as strangers. And so, as you and I might be aware of the term, Ruth was a blow-in as far as Bethlehem was concerned and the land of Israel was concerned. Ruth was also, as far as the land of Israel was concerned, fatherless because her natural father was back in the land of Moab. So in Israel, she had no father, no provider, no one really to, to love her by way of her original family. And so whenever Ruth goes to glean in the fields of Bethlehem, she had every right to be there. The customs and the traditions of Israel provided for her. The law and the commandment of God gave her leave to go into the fields around Bethlehem where she lived at that particular time and glean in the harvest. And when she returns home after the first day's work, her mother-in-law, as you might imagine, is anxious to discover how she had fared that day. And she speaks the words then that I wish to use as a text this morning for a few moments. She asks Ruth, where hast thou gleaned today? And that question then prompts Ruth to tell her mother-in-law how she had found employment in the field of Boaz. And she says that she had labored in the field. And you and I who are God's people, we likewise are laborers. We are called to labor in the Lord's field, labor in the Lord's harvest. We are called to labor for the souls of men and women to seek to win others to Christ, to see believers growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Savior and to do whatever you and I can in spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews chapter 6 and the verses 9 and 10 speak of things that accompany salvation. And we read in the the verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 6, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You and I are laborers. We are laborers in love, laborers in the Lord's harvest, in his field, to the glory of his great and his holy name. With that thought in mind, there are one or two parallels that I want to draw very briefly between you and I and Ruth, laboring in the Lord's harvest. I want you to see firstly from Ruth the willingness of the worker, the willingness of the worker. For me, growing up, the best part of a school really was, as often been said, the summer holidays. And it was a great delight, of course, to not have to go to school during that period of time. The summers always seemed to be very hot in those days. The sun always seemed to shine. At least that's how it appears whenever you look back. 40 or 50 years or whatever it might be. I enjoyed the summer holidays apart really from the last week in August and the following few weeks into September and October because it was at the end of August that the potato gathering started. Nowadays, of course, I suppose it's machinery that gathers all of the the spuds that are planted now. But All those years ago, most of the final week of the holidays, the following few Saturdays, we as children were expected to go and gather potatoes for our neighbors and for our friends. Literally, you had to bend over and pick up the the potato from the drills. I'm sure there are many here who have never done that. It was hard work. There wasn't much pay, a few pence per bag, And there were no health and safety in those days. You you started early, you worked long. They gathered up the children from around our area and district, or teenagers, I suppose. You were herded into a cattle truck and you were driven off to a field. Whenever that field was gathered, then they moved you to the next field. You sat in the the field amongst the muck and you ate with your, your dirty hands whatever sort of food your mother had prepared for you. And my mother, at that time, I loved egg and onion sandwiches. Had them for every time that I was out. I would have had them for every meal. Now I couldn't stand an egg and onion sandwich if somebody paid me to eat it. Because it's too many bitter memories. You see, in the harvest, I wasn't a very willing worker. But we lived in a time when you were told you had to go. But I wasn't a very willing worker. But Ruth was not like that. You will see that Ruth began her work in the harvest immediately. There is her desire. In chapter 1 verse 22 of the book of Ruth, we discover that she and Naomi had come to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And as a stranger, she might have said, entering into this new country, this new part of the world, she might have said, I'll take a week or two to settle down. I'll get comfortable in the house. If nothing else turns up, well, I'll go into the harvest and I'll lean. 
But that's not what she intended, and that's not what she said, because when we come to verse 2, we discover her in chapter 2 saying to Naomi, let me now go to the field. Emphasize the word now, because that indicates a willingness on her part to get into the work as soon as she possibly could. And you know, in a congregation, in an assembly of God's people, there's always something for you to do. It might be telling others of Christ. It might be teaching in the Sunday school or children's meeting. It might be in the outreach. It might be attending the, the prayer meeting and seeking the Lord in prayer. The greatest employment that you and I can be engaged in is having an involvement in doing something for the Lord. Don't be like those who in the parable stood about in the marketplace all the day idle. And you know the greatest enjoyment is when you do the Lord's work willingly with a full heart giving your all. If you've got to be dragged to the place of prayer, there'll be no joy in the place of prayer. There'll be no joy in your heart. If you've got to be cajoled into doing something for the Lord, there'll be no joy in what you do. Archbishop Thomas Cramner said many, many years ago in prayer, O Lord our God, give us all by thy Holy Spirit a willing heart and a ready hand to use all thy gifts to thy praise and glory. Ruth was a willing worker. That was seen in her desire to go to the field. Her willingness is seen also in her diligence. Because you read from verse 17 in Ruth chapter 2 that she worked the whole day. She gleaned in the field until even. Hers wasn't a part-time employment. The word even indicates their sunset. So she labored from dawn till dusk. Why did she labor so long and so hard? Because she realized that time was short. In Israel... The harvest normally began at the, feast of Pente uh, at the Feast of Passover. It ended at Pentecost, which was 50 days later. And therefore Ruth knew that she had only a few weeks to gather enough grain to keep her and Naomi going over the winter season. Therefore, she acknowledged that time was of the essence. And isn't time important for you? who seek to win your loved ones to Christ, who have the responsibility of praying for them and living for Christ before them. The night cometh, the Bible says, when no man can work. You remember Rebecca, whenever Abraham's servant came to her area and to her district in Genesis 24 and the verse 20, and the, the camels had to be watered. The Bible tells us there in that verse that Rebecca hasted. Why? Because she knew the night was coming and time was short and she had a work to do. And my friend, let me say to you this morning, as I say to myself, that time is running out to see our loved ones brought to Christ. The king's business requireth haste. There's an old saying that he who loses gold and silver can find more to replace it, but he who loses time cannot find more. 
And when is the Lord's time for you and I to do something for Christ? It's now. It's now. It's today. She worked through the whole harvest period. Thirdly, as far as her willingness is concerned, there is her duration. Because if you read Ruth 2 verse 23, you'll see she worked on the field unto the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. There was no fainting by the way. She didn't begin well and then grow weary after a day or two. No, rather day after day she made her way to the field. And therein is the secret of the Lord's work. Because I find that in the Lord's work you can motivate people for a little period of time perhaps to do something. Maybe a special occasion. Maybe at a time of harvest give out invitations or whatever. But generally there are a group of the people of God who fail to labor consistently in the cause of Christ. They don't want really any responsibility they don't want to be committed to laboring week after week, month after month, year after year. Others are more stop-start. You can't really depend upon them. But what the Lord is looking for as far as you and I are concerned is those who will be involved in the Lord's work for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Always in their place always giving their best, always laboring to the glory of the Lord's name. That's consistency. Consistency isn't you and me being in the place of prayer for a week or two and think we've done our bit for the year. No. Whenever I go back to Balamina from time to time, I, half of the people, far more than half of the people I don't know now, having been brought up in the congregation and been away for, oh, I don't know, 30 years or whatever it is. But you still see the old faces. You still hear the same people praying in the prayer meeting who did. Whenever I was first saved, 1979, many of them have gone now to glory who were about at that time, but many, many others who were there they're still there today. They're still faithful to the Lord. That's consistency. That's consistency. Year after year, praying, giving of their labor, laboring for the Lord. In comparison to the harvesters, Ruth wasn't getting very much. She only had a few corners to work in. A few grains she was able to lift here and there. And there were many gleaners. At best she was only picking up a few handfuls here and there. But she still worked even though it was a day of little reward. Don't despise the day of small things as far as the Lord's work's concerned. Because we live in times when ones and twos are coming to Christ. Sometimes perhaps it's, it's the, the noughts and the ones and the twos. We live in a day of small things as far as the work of God is concerned. And you know that's really how it is generally speaking as far as God's work goes. You read the book of Acts, and yes, on occasions we read about great numbers, vast numbers of people coming to Christ. The day of Pentecost, for example. 
But mostly, even in the book of Acts, it was one here and another there. You think about Saul of Tarsus. He came on his own to Christ. In that he was the only one converted to Christ on that occasion. You think about the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, one person. One person. And yes, we, we dream and we long after times whenever many come to the, the Savior. Hundreds of people flock to Christ. But those are the exceptions in the Lord's work. And if you and I wait until we see hundreds of people starting to flock to the Lord before we ever think of doing anything for the Lord, then we'll never do anything. Ones and twos. And we thank God that the Lord is saving the ones and twos here and there. He is building his church. And the, the Lord therefore would say to you and me today, don't be weary in well-doing. Very quickly we have the willingness of the worker. Then you'll see the, the witness of the worker. Because gleaning was a despised occupation. Those who were engaged in gleaning really were in a sense beggars. Children growing up today, of course, some want to be farmers. Some want to be a fireman. Others have the ambition of being a soldier or a model or a nurse or a doctor. No one in the days of Ruth ever dreamed of becoming a gleaner. Despised work. A despised work. Because being a gleamer firstly suggested a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage. The gleaner, you see, had no field of their own in which to labor. In effect, they had no real material ties to this earth. And Ruth was really a pilgrim in Bethlehem at this particular time. She had no possessions there. Verse 10 calls her a stranger. Literally the word is an alien or a foreigner. Some speak about foreigners coming to our land. Ruth was a foreigner in a strange land. She spoke with a certain accent, I'm sure. Even though it was probably the, the Hebrew that she spoke, yet she would speak it with a Moab accent. Everybody would know her. As soon as she would open her mouth, you would know there's a foreigner, there's a stranger. The older people here will remember Jim Reeves. Jim Reeves sang a song, This world is not my own. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And you see, every time you as a child of God do something for the Lord or speak a word for Christ, you are saying to that individual, this world isn't my home. I'm living for eternity. And therefore you and I ought to lie loose to the world. And in testifying of Christ, you are bearing witness to your own hope and your expectation for eternity. There's a provision of this witness as well. Because in gleaning, Ruth was providing for Naomi's survival. How else would her old mother-in-law live? Naomi was too old to glean. It was beyond her ability to glean. She was dependent upon Ruth. If Ruth didn't glean, then they both died. That's how it was in those days. 
And yes, I believe, as we all believe, that salvation is of the Lord. But the task of winning souls to Christ is a responsibility that you and I have under God. Under God. The Lord might have chosen the animals to preach the gospel. He used Balaam's ass many years ago to speak to the the erring one. He might have chosen the stones. But no, he chose men. Men and women. Men and women. To go to men and women with the gospel. And sometimes we who are older lament all things aren't what they used to be. People are no longer coming to the service. Meetings aren't the same as they used to be. Perhaps that's because God's people don't glean in the Lord's harvest as faithfully as once they did. Morning McShane's day in Scotland, there was a widespread turning to the Lord. At that time of McShane's life, There were 28 weekly prayer meetings in the parish of Dundee where he ministered. And maybe we don't see the same things happening today by way of conversions and by way of the, the Lord's work going forward because we've forgotten how to pray. And we don't take the time to pray. What have you done? What have I done for the furtherance of the gospel in this past week? Where hast thou gleaned today? Sinners, of course, are helpless as far as their conversion to Christ is concerned. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for your loved ones? If you don't pray for them, who will? Who will? Spurgeon, whenever he was asked the secret of his success, he opened the door to a room where people were waiting upon the Lord and they said, the secret of my success, the prayers of my congregation. Pray for your minister. Pray for your session, your committee. Do you ever take the time to bow the knee and ask the Lord to remember his work here? Have you a concern for the lost? If I could mention Murray McShane again, it said concerning him that on a Saturday afternoon he would go round the most sick people in the congregation, the dying. Every Saturday afternoon. And someone asked him why. And he said that before preaching on the Lord's day, he liked to look over the verge. And in looking into the eyes and the gaunt faces of those who were slipping out into eternity. It somehow rekindled the flame of love and compassion for the souls of the lost. Tell me. Have you looked over the verge lately? Have you looked into the eyes of the dying? When the color was draining from their cheeks. And when weakness had overtaken them. Looking over the verge. And picturing in your mind's eye. 
those who are without Christ slipping down out into eternity. And as we think about these things, surely our hearts ought to break. The thought of that person you share a meal with, you sit around the table with, and they're not saved. They're not ready for eternity. Have you looked over the verge? Looked into their eyes? And allowed that thought to break your heart? Very, very quickly, finally, there's the worth of the worker. Because the Lord has the highest regard for those who labor on his behalf. In a congregation, the Lord, of course, loves every child of God in a special way. He loves a sinner. But the Lord has a high regard for those who labor for him. Ruth, in working in the field, not only helped Naomi, she also helped herself. Because if you read this chapter 2 of Ruth, you will see how Ruth, over a period of time, was drawn closer and closer to Boaz. Of course, Boaz is a type and a picture of Christ. You'll see that she started off at a distance from Boaz. Just another worker who happened happened in the will of God. Yes, it, it appeared to Ruth that she was just acting upon impulse. She started off at a distance. Just another worker in another field. Another beggar in a crowd of beggars who happened to come into this field. And that's where you are if you're in this meeting today. You're not yet a child of God. You're a stranger to him. You're a stranger to him. A stranger to Christ. You know nothing of his love. You know nothing of his grace. Of his care. Of his provision. You come to harvest service, yes, and it's good to, to see you and it's good that you do. But the other periods of the year, you never, you never really think about God's goodness. It's a, it's a strange thing to you. And you might be here today, you're far off from Christ. You know nothing of a saving grace. You know nothing of the blood applied to your heart. You know nothing of the joy that he can give, the peace that he can give to those who lay their head upon the pillow at night and they know it's well with their soul. All these things are strange to you. Oh, please, today, look to Christ by faith. Repent of your sin. Don't go over the verge out into eternity unprepared. Oh, that would be disaster for your soul. Disaster. Disaster for all eternity for you. And Ruth started off at a distance. Then she became a damsel. Because Boaz takes note of her, verse 5. He says, whose damsel is this? Literally it is, to whom does she belong? And you're a believer today. Thank God you belong to the Lord. You're his. He has bought you with a price. 
redeemed you with the price of his precious, precious blood. When you labor for the master, you and me, we're only doing what we're, we're purchased to do. We're unprofitable servants. We're just doing that which it is our duty to do. But thank God, what a wonderful thing it is to serve Christ. One of our brethren in the prayer meeting was praying earlier about those who go to football matches or whatever and what heart they put into it. The singing, the affection that they show for their team. And I thought then, what affection have I for Christ? What heart have I in singing for Christ? And yet we've been redeemed to love Christ. Then she is referred to as a daughter very, very quickly. He calls her in verse 8, my daughter. The word for daughter could be translated as apple. As in apple of the eye. You know what the apple of your eye is, your pupil. One of the most tender parts of the whole body. It only takes a little speck of grit that you could hardly even see to get into the eye and round the apple of your eye to damage it, mar it for life. That's why it's got to be carefully protected with goggles or glasses. And even then, even then it's almost impossible to keep the eye. When Boaz called Ruth, his daughter, he was saying, is going to protect her, is going to provide for her, is going to look after her. You see, she's weak, she's a vulnerable, she's a stranger, but he said, I'm going to take care of her. She's going to be like a daughter to me from this time on, like a daughter, the apple of my eye. Does Jesus not care for you when your heart's breaking? When times are hard, when you can't understand what's going on, when trouble comes, does Jesus care for you? Of course he does. And then she becomes a diner. A diner. Because we have a picture in verse 14 of them sitting around the table of Boaz. And you, you read, if you read the words carefully, you will see that she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed. The he cannot refer to the reapers because reapers are plural. The he draws attention to Boaz. She's sitting with him. She's being fed from his hand. Oh, feast upon Christ every day, child of God, young people. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you read. Feast upon Christ every day. If you're, you're bought up on steak and caviar, you'll not be satisfied with a dry piece of bread. And you and I have the word of God. That's a steak and caviar, if you like. That's what Mr. Kenny's been brought up on all of his life. You know, they look at him. He's healthy. He's fit. Steak and caviar. And the individual who's used to eating such things will not be satisfied with the husks of this world. If you're a child of God, feast your eyes upon Christ. Feast upon Christ. Find him in the word. Find him in the word. You'll find also that Ruth is a devotee. Verses, verse 7 of chapter 3, you find her sitting at the master's feet. Oh, be often at the feet of Christ. Be often there. And then finally, she becomes his delight. 
chapter 4, verse 13. She becomes his delight. Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. He went in unto her. The Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. There's a closer union. She left her mother-in-law's house. She moved to that of Boaz. They delighted in none but one another. Oh, make Christ your delight. Live for him. Live for him. Serve him. Give your all to him. Labor in the Lord's harvest. There's a hymn in our book which sums up really what I'm trying to say today. Most of the hymns in the book have authors that you'll be familiar with, Wesley or Crosby or Cowper or whoever. But the hymn that I'm thinking about is written by some unknown author. The hymn 526, I have only one life on this earth. And as vapor is passing away, I must labor for treasures of worth ere toil ends at the close of the day. Only one life to give. I could never withhold it from God. Only one life to live. I must not. I must not. I must not miss the well done of God. The leaning bell has sounded. That call to get you into the Lord's field to do something for him. Heed the call today. Accept the challenge of doing something for Christ. Labor in the field. Labor for treasure of worth. For Christ's sake. We'll bow together in prayer. Mr. Kenny has asked if I would close the meeting now in prayer. And so we'll do that just now. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you in this service this morning. Are you not saved? Would you like to be saved? Of course you would. Of course you would. Speak to your minister or myself. We would be delighted to open up the scripture with you. Maybe the Lord would speak to some individual in this meeting. You've been a child of God for years, but you haven't really got involved you're not really doing anything. Oh, may the Lord challenge you today. And may you say, here am I. Here am I. Send me. Send me, Lord. Eternal and our everlasting Father, we thank thee today for the opportunity of being able to meet in God's house. We thank thee for this congregation. And for every individual here, how it thrills our hearts to see the young and the not-so-young in God's house met together. And, O oh God, we pray that thou wilt bless us. We pray that the hand of God will be upon us. And we ask that thou wilt remember each individual associated with this work here. Let us labor for the well done of God. Bless thy servant Remember every aspect of his ministry and his work.
And, O God, we pray for the whole congregation that the smile of heaven will be upon them and that the Lord will take the congregation on from strength to strength in days to come. For Christ Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.